Welcome to Global Minnesota Podcast, connecting, informing, and engaging Minnesotans with the world and exploring important international issues. For a complete list of programs and to join us, visit globalminnesota.org. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining us for our Lunch and Learn today. My name is Alex Albrecht. I'm the membership and gala manager for Global Minnesota, uh, which means that I have the very great privilege of working with those of you who are our members and uh, good supporters throughout the year. I'm so appreciative of today's speakers joining us from the UK Natural, Natural History Museum um, and that they're willing to speak with us about what's going on over the pond there. Uh, one of the great things to actually come from these virtual events these past few years is that we can form these unique connections and kind of travel really all over the world. Um, it's a lunch and learn for us and more of a dine, dine and learn for them um, in that time zone. So uh, we'll be talking today about the UK Natural History Museum. Wanted to thank all of you for joining us. Uh, we know that personal connection creates understanding and we appreciate our members and supporters who act on and support our mission. Um, so we wouldn't be here today if not for your engagement. Um, if you are joining as a guest today and this is kind of your first event, welcome. Hopefully it's a great hour here. Um, I do hope that you'll consider becoming a member because members do enjoy benefits throughout the year. They get invitations to events like this, discounts on other events. Um, and overall, if you'd like to chat about membership, I can talk your off, so feel free to send me an email. Um, but I'm going to enough about me. I would want us to hear from our guests today. So it's my pleasure to introduce Felicity Sylvester and Hannah Sheevey. Uh, Felicity works in the Touring Exhibitions Department at the Natural History Museum in London, organizing their tour stops for exhibitions. She moved to the museum sector after a couple of years working in publishing houses and brought over her experience in account management and contract negotiations. Hannah is a North Dakota, Minnesota native and a member of Global Minnesota. So thank you, Hannah. Uh, she works in the director's office at the Natural History Museum where she focuses on moving the museum's strategy into action and progress. Prior to the museum, Hannah gained wide ranging experience in policy and politics, both in the US and in the UK. Um, so I'll invite both of them to turn on their cameras and unmute themselves to chat with us about their presentation today. But for the rest of you, we'll be having questions in about 30 minutes. So keep your cameras and mics muted for now. Um, and when we're ready for questions, we'll, we'll uh, ask you to ask them. So thanks for joining us. Excellent. Hi, everyone. Just bear with me a second while I do the screen sharing business. Uh, and share sound. Excellent. Cool. Are we good? Yep. Cool. All right. So, hi, I am Hannah Shuvi. And um, as Alex said, I work in the director's office at the Natural History Museum. Um, just a bit of background I've held a few roles uh, across the museum. Um, I essentially moved to the UK. Um, from, for doing my master's and I stuck around and I've been at the museum now for four, four years and, um, and I'm currently the strategic planning manager. So working on a whole host of interesting projects. Um, and Felicity. Hi everybody, I'm Felicity Sylvester. I'm exhibition partnerships manager at the museum. Um, it's my great pleasure to work with the uh, collections that we have at the museum and touring them across the UK and the, and the world with my colleagues in the Touring Exhibitions Department. We're kind of known as Touring Exhibitions, Travelling Exhibits, few iterations of what they're called, um, which depending on the, the sector and country that you're in. So yeah, <laughs> you'll hear a bit of both throughout. <laughs> 
Exactly. So um, I'm just going to walk you through a little bit about the museum setting this sort of scene and our strategy, um, and then talk a bit about Our Broken Planet, which started out as an exhibition um, completely online, and then it went physical, and now we're, uh, we have sort of large aspirations for where it can take us as a program. So without further ado, thanks for having us here. Um, so just a bit of brief context. So the Natural History Museum, um, our subject matter is planet Earth and life on planet Earth. And most people know us as a visitor attraction. Um, we are actually the most visited indoor tourist attraction in the UK in 2021. But what's much less known, we kind of, we, we always joke that it's sort of like this gigantic secret is our scientific excellence. So understanding life on our planet is the greatest scientific challenge of our age, and we're well positioned to be a major contributor. We have 300 scientists, 150 PhD students working at the museum. Our collection of over 80 million specimens represents a quarter of the world's natural history specimens. Um, so just for context, we have 26,000 of these specimens on public display in the galleries. So that's like 80 million behind the scenes, basically. Um, and so they, they basically, they form some of the world's most scientifically important collections. Um, and we have more type specimens than any other institution in the world. So a type specimen is like the thing that was first used to describe a species. Um, so one of the founders of our museum, Richard Owen, he actually came up with the word dinosaur because he was the first one to look at fossil of, um, of Archaeopteryx and, and say that, that it was a dinosaur. Um, so that originated in the history of, of our institution. Um, and, and the specimens are a central importance in many research projects around the world. Um, they're visited by researchers um, in the thousands each year. Uh, we also are on a mission to digitize all of them. Uh, so as I said, we have 80 million. We uh, have now digitized 6% of them onto a data portal. So we've got a bit of a way to go, but we're, we're on a path to get there and make them more accessible um, to everyone across, across the planet, really. Um, and they hold, we, we have important information about specimens, images associated with them, everything, you can find that all on the data portal. So it's really important as one of our founding missions that we sort of, we have all of these specimens and collections and we unlock their potential and bring them to a, the largest audience possible. Whoop. So in 2020, we declared a planetary emergency, and note that I'm saying a planetary emergency and not just a climate emergency. So here's why. The, the health of the ecosystems on which we and all other species depend is deteriorating more rapidly than ever. Um, extinction rates are rapidly increasing. Species collapse is abound. Um, coral reefs, apex marine fish, seaweed and kelp habitats, they're declining at such a rapid rate. Um, and although there have been mass extinctions in history, there have been five of them, you can see on this chart here, there's evidence that we're now heading undeniably towards the sixth. Um, we're eroding the very foundations of our economies, our livelihoods, food security, health, and the quality of life worldwide. And um, we need to understand the, the drivers behind these. So this is changes to land and sea use, direct over-exploitation, pollution, and climate change. Uh, so just to put into context, the last mass extinction happened 66 million years ago, um, and that was when uh, the dinosaurs were wiped out because an asteroid hit the Earth or some such, and uh, now the asteroid hitting the Earth is essentially us, humans. 
Um, so put simply, the planetary emergency that we're experiencing stemming from an unsustainable flow of human activity. And this is the first time that a single species, us, has caused such um, disastrous effects on the natural world. And what's more disturbing is that we're doing this with a profound awareness of doing so. So we can see that this is happening. Uh, museum collections can be used to show that our oceans, for example, are more acidic than they were 140 years ago. Okay, so these, these are CT scans of calcareous shells of microscopic plankton called foraminifera. And they were collected um, on an expedition, the Challenger expedition in 1870. Okay, and then you can see there's a, uh, this is the one on, on the right, if you see that, that blue one on the right, that was the one collected in 1870. The one on the left was collected, same species, um, and an, an exhibition called the Tara exhibition, which was just a few, uh, a few years ago. And if you notice the big difference here is in the thickness of the shells. So you can see that one is, the modern day one is considerably thinner. Okay, so our scientists have been able to look back in the collection and find these in the record. Um, and this thinning is due to the increased levels of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and subsequently more acidic oceans. So this chart here is mapping out how the oceans are becoming more acidic over time. Um, and our scientists are actually using um, evidence such as this specimen to make that chart go all the way back to the 1870s. So that's kind of like the work in progress right now. That chart actually doesn't exist yet. We're building it, which is exciting. Um, but yeah, the, the more acidic the ocean, the harder it is for them to form their shells. Uh, so this obviously has potentially catastrophic consequences um, for the ocean. And if it can, continues, these plankton could become extinct. Um, so fossils from past warming events like these provide the only direct evidence that we have of how Earth's ecosystems have responded to global climate change. And understanding how natural ecosystems responded to past events is important in the face of current climate change and helps us um, to start to learn how to, to, how, to, how to ameliorate things now. So, so far, so gloom and doom, um, but in January, 2020, we made a decision. Um, we launched our modern day vision and strategy uh, in line with the escalating situation for the natural world. We're pushing the boundaries. Our mission is to create, pass, er, to create advocates for the planet. Uh, our vision is a, of a future where people and planet thrive. And to do this, we know that we need to harness the powerful combination of three assets, our collection, our scientific research, and our reach and relevance to the worldwide audience. So our mission is to create advocates for the planet. And we define an advocate as someone who speaks up on behalf of the planet and takes action to help create a future where both people and the planet thrive. So we encourage everyone everywhere and we'll target individuals, corporates, governments to take action to create advocates across our planet. So our message is very much one of hope. We are not pessimistic about this. There is a path. It's a very narrow path, but there is a path. It's not necessarily the one we're on, but we're determined to create advocates to make sure that we get there. So the natural world is in crisis um, as our demand for food, materials, and energy source, forests are becoming farmland, plastic is filling our oceans, and climate is heating fast. So when we declared the planetary emergency, and this was in January of 2020, uh, we knew we needed to communicate this with our audiences and start having some serious conversations with them. 
but we all know what happened uh, after January 2020. Um, so we had this idea for, for an exhibition that was going to communicate this to our audiences, and um, all of a sudden we were stuck at home. So what did we do? Uh, we developed an entirely new exhibition entirely from home um, during lockdown, and it started with an open call out to our scientists on the internet, and it culminated in one of our most successful and ambitious programs to date. Um, and it actually, it started completely online. Uh, eventually it got into our physical space, um, but it was it was really groundbreaking and, and something totally new for us. So I have a bit of a video that I'm gonna play here that, that shows you um, in, in a nice way all what our broken planet is about. The global uprising in 2019 is the largest mass demonstration that's ever existed. Those were young people begging for us to join them to ensure that they will have a future. Our Broken Planet, How We Got Here and Ways to Fix It is a brand new program from the Natural History Museum that challenges our unsustainable relationship with the natural world. The program includes a free display at the museum in London, online content and events that dive into the solutions for people and planet, and off-site collaborations platforming the people at the heart of the planetary emergency. The free Our Broken Planet Gallery at the museum in South Kensington comprises three sections that explore how humans have transformed the natural world. Eating the Earth, Nature for Sale, and the Climate Emergency. Hello everyone. Hello. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to you, wherever in the world you might be watching from. We are joined by Clover Hogan, researcher, activist, and founder of Course of Nature. The adults in my life were so good at pretending that these issues didn't exist. Brianna Fruin is a 22-year-old activist and environmental advocate for Samoa. Stay away from thinking that we're at the end of something, because I believe that we are actually at the beginning of change. Mitzi Jonathan is a climate justice activist based in Metro Manila in the Philippines. People aren't aware about climate change, about the climate crisis, about climate science, much less climate justice. The Our Broken Planet program doesn't end with the museum. We brought the program to Glasgow for COP26, amplifying the voices and stories of those at the heart of the climate crisis. The Nature Bar is a beautiful collaboration from the Natural History Museum. The programming that we are creating over the next four days should hopefully unlock the human elements of us that resonate with the natural world. This is just the beginning, not just for the museum, but for the sector. We must continue to flip the script on how museums are engaging people on our broken planet. Our vision is for museums to become hubs of educating, connecting, and empowering young people to take action for people and the planet, now and into the future. So that's just a bit about what Our Broken Planet uh, was. Uh, so we created this, it started out as an online events program, and we created a gallery uh, which explores how humanity has infected the planet, how scientists are finding solutions from nature for nature. So it was a free exhibition, an events program, and digital content. And we took it to important global events like the climate, um, like the UN Climate Conference. Um, so I'm just going to take you through what 
the specimens were a little bit here. Um, so the first section was called Eating the Earth. And these are, these are the specimens that the scientists had put forward to be included. Um, so a couple of the standouts here were a three meter long black marlin skeleton and um, a case that included all of the British bees that have gone extinct since 1800. Um, and what it did was you had like stories, voices of the scientists literally in the gallery telling you what, what the, the stories behind these specimens are. Um, and the next one, oh yeah, so here's a, a spotlight one. So wheat, 20% of our calories come from one plant, that's wheat. It's a staple food for 35% of the world's population. The, its global trade is the largest compared to all other crops and life without bread and noodles. May seem unimaginable, but our climate changing climate is threatening wheat varieties with drought, heat, and disease. So our museum science is looking at solutions in the DNA of wheat's relatives to help identify genes that help plants um, such as to survive heart condition, harsh conditions, new kinds of wheats um, that can be bad for a warming world. Uh, and then in the next section is nature for sale. So here's the plethora of specimens that we have in this one, including a Chinese mitten crab that was pulled from the river that runs through London uh, alongside a ball of over 100 plastic fibers that was removed from its stomach. So again, just a lot of grim things here. And this was one of my favorites. This is, um, so whales live for a very long time. And in that time, they build up plugs of earwax. And scientists can actually study this. And they identify toxins included in paints, plastics, and pesticides. So these chemicals would have entered through their bodies, um, through the fish that they, and krill that they eat. And then over time, those chemicals can damage the whale's immune systems and reproductive abilities, um, which is just also very sad. Um, the last phase here was the climate emergency. And so I'm just going to take you through this one. The Sunday stone is a calcareous deposit that formed as slowly as water deposited a white mineral, sort of like coating the drainage at the bottom of the mine. And since the Industrial Revolution, the global temperature has obviously increased by more than one degree Celsius. Don't know my Fahrenheit anymore, <laughs> but that is actually written into this stone. It's called the Sunday Stone because it records the working life of miners in the UK in the 1800s. So the dark lines here that you see are coal dust, which shows the days that the miners, miners were working. And then the white lines are nighttime, Sundays, and holidays. So you can literally see the impact that mining was having in this one stone. Um, so also, we, we, the video mentioned that, that these specimens were all brought to life to audiences far beyond the physical home in the exhibition in London via an impressive program of, of online events. And uh, yes, that did include Jane Fonda. <laughs> that was her. So what's next? So our broken planet ended a very successful first run um, just at the end of August. We had 1.2 million visitors that saw the exhibition in South Kensington here in London. Uh, and now we're, we're looking to what's next. So really excitingly, last week, actually, we sent two representatives um, over to Bonn and, and um, Germany because they were having the UN Sustainable Development Goal Action Awards, and we were shortlisted, or our Broken Planet was shortlisted um, as a finalist for one of the Inspire Awards. So um, it's getting a lot of really impressive traction, and we can't wait to see what's next. We've got big plans. Um, Felicity, I know we'll talk a bit more about it coming up. Um, and I think with that, I'm going to pass over to Felicity. Thanks, Hannah. Uh, 
it's all I always find it absolutely incredible listening to um all of the science tip, um that's going on in the museum sometimes we um forget how much stuff is going on uh, all the time so it's, it's always wonderful to hear about it again um hi everybody uh, so I'm Felicity um exhibition partnerships manager at the museum in the touring exhibitions department um I'm just here today to talk about uh, some of the exhibitions that we have touring uh, to tell you a little bit more about as our department what we do we're part of the global engagement team um, at the museum uh, which helps with the outreach outside of the UK um, we are a bit of a multilingual international team, um, not too international being British <laughs> based in the UK. We're a team of eight um, covering Italia, uh, Italians, Australians, French um, people as well. So we have a nice bit of diversity there um, in our languages. We, um, my colleague Paolo and I, uh, we approach venues uh, with our exhibit proposals. Um, we discuss the requirements for touring and resources needed to hopefully host a show, to, to successfully host a show, and we negotiate terms and contracts, um, overseas marketing, and also oversee the delivery of the shows. Um, I work with venues in the UK, Spain, Portugal, the USA, Canada, Latin America, and the Middle East. As a team, we travel um, over the across the globe, wherever the exhibitions go, to oversee the planning, um, promotion, installation, and management of these displays in their temporary homes. Uh, we have produced exhibits only to tour, and also toured exhibits that were displayed in the museum. We then crate them up and transport them around the UK and overseas. We work very closely with our colleagues in the museum from interpretation department. They write the text for the exhibits. The design team who create shows that are fit and robust enough to tour for a number of years. With uh, those uh, colleagues in science department who select the, the specimens from the museum's collections for the exhibits and join us on the installation to care for the collection items on the road as well. Uh, we also liaise with colleagues in marketing and audience research to produce compelling proposals and digital teams um, who are incredibly talented at producing the films and uh, the interactive exhibits that are in our exhibitions as well um, and collaborate closely with operations to deliver them. So we're currently touring uh, three exhibitions. The first one is Wildlife Photographer of the Year, um, Jurassic Oceans, Monsters of the Deep and Fantastic Beasts, The One of Nature. Okay. Um, would you mind clicking to the next slide, Anna? Thank you. So, um, why do we tour exhibitions? <laughs> we tour them because we're a national museum and we um, we have to share our collections. Um, we share our, our exhibitions with audiences, both to contribute to the international dialogue on the natural world and to reach the widest possible audience as well with scientific and educational content, much like many other museums do around the world. Our exhibitions also fulfill uh, the mission to create advocates for the planet alongside with the museum's strategy. We collaborate and work with global partners and that allows us to speak across borders to, an inter to the international audience with greater force and effect. Um, our exhibitions deliver facts about the past, tell stories and narratives in diverse ways and offer opportunities for engagement and um, active interest and action in the future. Uh, we do sometimes work with um, the British embassies and British councils across the world as well to further enhance the reach of the displays. And the figures here tell some part of the story, and we hope that um, the impact is furthermore by 
awing people and planting the seed in their minds to care for, uh, further for the planet. Okay, next slide please, Hannah. Thank you. Um, so this exhibition here was um, a, show, a display that was on the road for about five years. Um, it went to, to Tokyo, um, in Japan, Singapore, Montreal, um, Quebec, and uh, Taiwan. Uh, we, it was for, um, it was exclusive to Melbourne Museum and the first time in Australia. Uh, what was really special about this exhibition is that um, used recyclable materials. The team at Melbourne Museum um, used a lot of cardboard in their display. And also they, en they enhanced the narrative with um, first people's stories um, and language uh, as well, which further enhanced the deep connection of first peoples with the natural world. The exhibits included evidence of extinct animals, the world's biggest butterfly, a very large tortoise and a very large crab, um, and also an unearthed fossil that helped coin the term dinosaur. Um, so this was um, really reaching into um, the past and the future with all the treasures from the museum's collection. Okay, next slide please, Anna. Thank you. Um, so moving right into the present, we've got two major specimen ex exhibitions on the road at the moment. Uh, specimen exhibition is just that, that we've pulled items from the collection, kindly donated uh, or lent from the curators and scientific staff um, for, um, for as long as we can have them. So first off, we have Jurassic Ocean's Monster of the Deep. Uh, this exhibition is 700 and Yes, sorry, 7,500 square foot, uh, not, not square meters today, and takes visitors under the waves of the Jurassic Seas to meet the fiercest, the largest, and the smallest marine creatures that were around at the, at the time dinosaurs were roaming the land. So there's around 100 exhibits in the display, including real skeletons that were put together in the workshops, um, or, and uh, sorry, in conservation, replica skeletons that were put together in the workshops, uh, models, we've got touchscreen interactives that were made by our digital team as well. And this takes uh, visitors all the way back to the Jurassic world to meet the sharks, the diverse fish, the T-Rex of the seas at the time, the amazing marine reptiles, and takes us right up to today's modern giants as well. My favourite part of the exhibition is uh, 3D scanned ancient plankton, ancient plankton, excuse me, that were digitized and brought to life in CGI. And it's a really fascinating um, digital display. And there's also a very cool interactive with a leared sixies, which was the largest Jurassic fish. Um, its tail was 10 foot tall, and you can see it eating bioluminescent plankton um, on a film that's kind um, of brought it, visualized what, what it may have looked like. Um, all of these exhibits are um, anything that's created on film is um, has a back and forth between the science um, community at the museum to inform exactly what it looked like and and to make sure it's scientifically accurate. Uh, this Jurassications were produced um, by an all male or female sorry a science panel um, and uh, bringing together curators, researchers, and specialists. Uh, it just closed at the Field Museum in Chicago um, just early September. Uh, and they, uh, we hope that, that did really great things for them. Uh, as we all know that museums have struggled somewhat over the pandemic years. Um, so hoping that we've helped with, their, um, with some recovery there. Um, and now moving on to Fantastic Beasts, The Wonder of Nature. Um, this is our most recently opened touring show that's opened at the Royal Ontario Museum in Toronto in Canada. Uh, it 
uh, came together as a partnership between the Natural History Museum, Warner Brothers Consumer Products and the BBC Studios Natural History Unit. In this exhibition, we explore the links between the magical creatures of the wizarding world and the remarkable animals in our natural world, encouraging a, a greater connection to our planet, empowering us all to be advocates for its care. And uh, in the last section, which is my um, personal favourite, we talk a little bit about, um, well, quite a lot about the science that we're doing to help um, preserve and care for the natural world. Um, thank you. Okay, next slide, please, Hannah. Thanks. So the longest uh, running exhibition that we have currently in our remit is Wildlife uh, Photographer of the Year. Um, it's been, it's, we're going into the 58th uh, awards ceremony this October. The exhibition includes 100 um, winning and highly commended images from the annual competition. Uh, they can be taken by um, any photographer, it's completely global competition, um, amateur, professional, hobbyist, anything in between, young, uh, the young competition and adult competitions uh, categories within the competition. And we um, usually get around 80, 90 nationalities each year entering. Um, which is exciting. Uh, it's shown every year in London, and um, then we, we launch it on tour around the world. While it was closed in London, we also managed to have, um, uh, excuse me, if you can hear that, um, we also managed a, a digital um, award ceremony online, which we had, and uh, that was that went really well. The digital team managed, managed to produce during the pandemic. Um, we tour to around 10 or 15 countries every year, um, often multiple venues in each, and um, help to, to that the exhibition is seen by millions of people across the world every year. Um, we, as I said, we're in the 58th year, uh, coming into the 58th year. We've uh, been delighted to work with a number of venues who have been long-standing partners, and we're always um, always excited to work with new people who are taking who would like to take this exhibition a little bit further. Um, most recently, we were um, able to work with the National Museum of Natural History in Washington as well with uh, Unforgettable Behaviour, which is a, a book that compiles the most um, intriguing, um, rarely seen behaviour of um, wild animals uh, that was captured uh, by photographers around the world. And um, this has created a beautiful display in Washington. And we also took this exhibition to the Dubai Expo in 2020 and the World Economic Forum as part of global engagement projects. Next slide, please, Hannah. So what's next for touring exhibitions? Uh, can mean uh, change when we look to the future um, between um, what, and so we just had the last stop of our dinosaur exhibition, T-Rex, a killer question, at the 700 year old Peterborough Cathedral in the UK. Um, that was a bit of a first for us uh, to take our touring exhibitions to, um, to a cathedral, though our national programmes have, have done that um, prior to us. Uh, so that was really nice to see the exhibition. Ironically, they looked very small in a cathedral, um, although they're not at all. Um, yeah, that one, is, I believe, is uh, 12 metres long. So, uh, yeah, but it was fantastic. They um, had a six-week display there, um, but unfortunately, um, we have uh, yeah, we've retired those exhibitions, and um, the team there did a wonderful uh, did a wonderful display with some great marketing, great social media, and uh, it's really intri intriguing to see where the exhibitions can be taken. 
so a little bit more about the future is um, wildlife photographer of the year. Again, that will be touring um, and we'll be taking that across the world um, for the 58th and looking forward to the 60th anniversary coming up as well. Uh, Jurassic Oceans and Monks of the Deep continues um, on the road in 2024. Looking forward to that. Um, and um, our Broken Planet hopefully will have um, ways to take that on the road as well in the future. Um, we do often uh, turn up at um, conferences. So we'll be at the American uh, Alliance of Museums Conference in Denver next year. And um, if anyone's there, please feel free to pop by. It's always nice to see people. <laughs> Thanks very much for having us again. And um, hope that's a little bit intriguing insight into the world of touring exhibitions. So of course, we always have to end with a call to action. So as I described earlier, our, our mission is very much to create advocates for the planet. And we are um, in the process of working out how exactly we expect you to become advocates for the planet. And here are just a few of the ways that you can. So we're trialing a new site, it's called Discover Biodiversity, where we're encouraging individuals to explore how they can take actions that, that improve biodiversity in their uh, local communities. Um, our broken planet, as I said, it's um, it wasn't just a physical incarnation of something. It very much exists online. So you can actually go to our YouTube channel and find all of the past recorded events that we did for that. Um, and then our touring exhibitions, they're going all over the world. And so I encourage you to check out if you happen to be near the next one. And that's all I've got. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Hannah and Felicity. And I think uh, Carolina here is going to help me field some questions. Right. Um, thank awesome. you again to, to yeah, like, like Alex is saying, thank you again to, to Hannah and Felicity for this wonderful and very just inspiring presentation. And I really hope um, we can, you know, connect again so that we see how the projects and everything keeps, keeps, keeps growing and keeps going on. Uh, but for now, we are um, excited to take everybody's questions. So are we going to do it is if somebody wants to show their face and feels comfortable turning on their video, please, this is a time to do so. Otherwise, you don't have to. But if you have a question um, at the bottom of your screen, you should have the little reaction thing with the raised hand. You can use that. Or you can just turn on your video and literally lift your hand and let us know that you have a question and we'll just call you as we see you in the list. So if anybody wants to start, anybody has a question, Jacqueline? Can you tell us, you've talked about the, the narrow path. Um, can you tell us if, what you've identified as the the most important or a couple of most important uh, ways to get on that path. Totally. Um, so we've got a couple of important key moments that are coming up in the coming months. So I'm not sure if um, I, I sort of use these acronyms COP a lot, and I assume that everyone knows what I mean. But if you haven't heard of COP, it's the, the UN Climate Conference. Um, and they have them every year. Some are more important than others. Last year, we had one um, in, it was actually hosted by the UK up in Glasgow. And um, you might've seen in the video that we took our broken planet there. And, um, and we set our scientists up in sort of a, 
uh, what we call the nature bar. And, um, and we got them to, to interact with all the people that were coming across the world at the UN Climate Conference. And we had one key message, and that was, please put biodiversity on the agenda. Um, and so this year, there's another COP. It's uh, COP27, and it's going to be in Egypt um, in November. Um, and then there's another COP which is in December in Montreal. And that one is on specifically biodiversity. Okay, so there's this like really technical nuance with the, the first, there's a climate COP and then there's a biodiversity COP. And obviously it'll be much, everyone will be really familiar with the climate emergency and global warming and all of these issues. Um, but our message that, that we initially sort of brought to COP last year and that we're going to be bringing again this year is that these actually aren't two distinct problems. They're one problem that sometimes have different solutions that sometimes work against each other and sometimes work for each other. So um, what is so, so so the number one thing that that we really want to get across in this sort of season of UN conferences is that there's a twin crises and if we if we really need to address them sort of as in as one and the same rather than seeing them as two distinct entities. So if we solve climate change, but not biodiversity, or we solve biodiversity, not climate change, we're not going to solve the planetary emergency. So if there's one message to take away from this, it's trying to explore what biodiversity's role is in the planetary emergency and, um, and how that plays into the twin crises that we're really facing. Thank you, Hannah. We have a question in the chat and also people, if you feel more comfortable writing it down, feel free to use the chat for those questions as well. Uh, from Susan Plimpton, she's asking if there's a book associated with the Our Broken Planet exhibit. I think not yet. Do you know Felicity? Didn't think there is. No, not yet. <laughs> no doubt. Watch out for it. Yeah, we'll <laughs> let you know. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I should also say um, that that at at the climate conference that's coming up in November, um, we are going to be trying to take our broken planet there in some in some sort of way. Um, we're working, I think, with the British Council to try and, and take it to the Cairo Children's Museum and amplify the messages that way. Um, so we'll be looking to have a presence there, which will be exciting. That is exciting. Does anybody else have any more questions? I see that there's staff from Global Minnesota as well here. We have a lot of our members. I was gonna say, I was really impressed with the length of that earwax uh, <laughs> tube. <laughs> and, I know, me too. Yeah, and something I just wouldn't have thought of as you know, being an indicator kind of like rings of a tree, how, how right. Time because you know I'm clearing out my earwax pretty much daily, so uh, whales yeah. can't do that. So that was that was really interesting, right? Alex, I've got a question for the <laughs> for the presenters. And first of all, very impressive. Of course, I'm a little bit biased, <laughs> but anyhow, I'm I'm curious. Uh, maybe they can talk about uh, the collaboration between their researchers and international researchers in the UK and around the world as well. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, so the best way to kind of think about it is the museum science works a lot the same way that you would uh, that a university does, right? It's just that we have this whole other thing about being a museum that we also have, um, but we're real live, active 
research. So it's it, I mean, this is Smithsonian Natural History Museum is a lot the same. American Museum of Natural History is a lot the same. Um, but what we're kind of trying to do is work out how we actually because it's so important, right? Like if we're if we're facing a planetary emergency and we have 80 million specimens that go all the way back to 4.6 billion years ago or some of our meteorites that we have. Um, that's a huge treasure trove of information that helps us understand this world. Um, so we're, we work so closely with um, other museums, but crucially with researchers and universities all across the world. So we have a really active, um, um, you know, grants program. Um, we're, we just finished a, a big project with the Gates Foundation that was called Dworm3, um, where we are a major delivery partner in some of their um, some of their work on parasitic worms, obviously. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's massive. Um, and so this is the thing that we're trying to do with our new vision and strategy is trying to get across the message that, you know, what is the role of a museum um, in, in this, in this, in the, in the current climate and, and how can we sort of go from being more of a passive, you know, uh, observer to more of an active um, change maker. And, uh, you know, sometimes we have this sort of stereotype of going along and seeing oh what are the cabinet of curiosities and the dusty creaky things and you know the person who studies the very random like egg and we're moving away from being such a curiosity to really being more of a holder uh, an honest broker of conversations because we do have a really trusted voice it's one of our most important assets um, so how can we sort of play an activist role by by also sort of making sure that we maintain our our, our voice of 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 trust and um and and our power of communication that we have with people so um yeah we have so many active research links all around the world and um and we just want more people to know about it <laughs> Absolutely. Just to add a small bit onto that, um, we sometimes have um, uh, scientists who uh, help write the exhibitions and contribute um, parts of their collection to the exhibits who will go and do a talk or produce, help um, help inform writing some educational material for an exhibition. So in that way, it does, um, it does play a more active role in the exhibit as well, rather than walking around, just reading the text. Um, sometimes they, they'll come and post talks if we're able to do that as well. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the gig is that, so if you're a university researcher, you have to teach classes. Well, if you're a museum researcher, you have to do public engagement. So some people <laughs> don't like to teach, you can come be at a museum. <laughs> Go ahead, Karen. Thank you. I'm curious how much you're working with um, countries and other universities from countries that we're not on really good terms with, for example, Russia or China or certain groups in the Middle East. Um, for example, I've been reading that Israeli and um, Palestinian geologists have been going together down to Antarctica and that um, Lake Bakayal and Lake Superior biologists have been working together. How much are you working with those countries and has that been challenging or fairly successful? Yeah, it's an interesting one. So um, obviously, when everything started happening with um, the war in Ukraine earlier this year, we we did. Some, you know, you have to ask, like, oh gosh, where do we have projects going on? But what what actually is was interesting is we have one that we just um, did a press release about this week, where we were having a collaboration. Our scientists were collaborating with researchers in Ukraine to study. Um, there was some sort of it was 
don't quote me on this, it just got press released, but there was something about microorganisms that were in the cathedral that was decaying or some such. Anyways, and so this research was going on while sort of the war was kicking off as well. So it was quite a remarkable feat. So we, we do have, you know, widespread research connections. Um, and a lot of it, sometimes it really is just based on the scientists as individuals. Um, but we do, we do have science themes that we're now working around. So we're trying to sort of like channel, um, channel the types of research that we do in a really strategic way. So that's prioritized in, in sort of directions that we think the, the you know, the planetary emergency needs solving. Um, but it's just it's it's just so broad, um, and it it really is. I always like to describe our scientists as actually like these are these are serious diplomats. Mm -hmm. um, so I I went to we had a a nature live program before the pandemic. I remember um, it wasn't a museum scientist, but we had someone come in and give a presentation about the work that he did as a scientist helping to establish the first national park um, in Afghanistan, and he was doing so obviously um, you know. Um, amidst the, the context of, of um, you know, the U.S.'s presence in, in um, Afghanistan earlier in the 2000s. And he was describing how challenging it was. And, and um, to me, it really was like what he was describing. He didn't, he didn't identify as such, but the work that he was describing was counterinsurgency to me because he was working with actual Afghans on the ground to set up these national parks and doing something that he just thought was the course of his business. Um, but to me, that was like the ultimate diplomatic success story. Um, and, and they did, they opened the national parks and, and it was really challenging in a lot of ways, um, but it, it, it intersects with politics in a, in a lot of ways. And sometimes the scientists don't even realize it as such, but it, they really are diplomats out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good point. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Anybody else have any questions? Thank you guys for answering all of this. Um, just to look back a little bit, uh, as you saw the person before Karen that answered, that asked a question, Dean, he is another member of ours and actually the one to blame for this cool event. Uh, the connection, there's definitely a connection between him and Hannah. <laughs> and uh, as some of our most engaged members, um, it's always great to find that common thread between, you know, people that are doing cool things in Minnesota and cool things all over the world, right? So it's always fun when our members or just our, our the, the, the people that belong to our community come and, and present us with these opportunities to learn about what the rest of the world is doing in different projects or different causes that are interesting and important for us, right? So thank you, Dean, and thank you, Hannah and Felicity for being so, so uh, generous with your time. Um, who else has questions? Does anybody want to send something in the chat? Turn on their audio, video, we're happy. I wanna see, so we have some comments in the chat. This was awesome. Thanks for the advocate links. Great work, thank you. Um, so yeah, if nobody, if nobody else has any questions, I don't know, Alex, do you have any questions or messages that you wanna provide to our members towards the end? Yeah, I just want to check Hannah and Felicity if there's, um, you had mentioned that the Our Broken Planet exhibit started online. Is there still a link that we can send out to people for them to view or is that kind of closed down? 
There is, yeah, they've got them all backlogged on YouTube. So I, I will share that. Wonderful. So I can, I can send that out to this group here. Um, but if there are no other questions, thank you again to both of you for presenting today. I am so glad that this came together and it's so interesting, like I said earlier, how, you know, we have this, you guys are however many hours ahead of us and I can see the lights getting kind of dark behind Felicity. So I won't keep you for too long, but thanks again for presenting today. And thank you to those of you, those of you who are joining us, um, members, non-members. I hope this was a really interesting event. And if you're not a member, I hope you um, at least think about becoming one so you can attend more events like this. If you have any cool connections, send them our way. We're always looking for uh, new content, new programs you can put on. Um, yeah, so I think that's, that's my spiel. I'll give you your 12 minutes back and thanks for attending. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks everyone. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Hannah and Felicity. Thank you, Dean.